Master Hakuin's chant and praises as in. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi! How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom! What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. It's Tuesday, 17th of August, 2021, and Taisho this evening is being streamed only as we're at the beginning of a, uh, a seven-day period of hard lockdown here in Auckland. I think when these, these lockdowns are announced, all kinds of emotions can come up. Um, but we know as Zen students what to do. We become one with our circumstances as much as we can. And then they can, they can become uh, opportunities for us to practice, to train, to train our minds, to see the mind. In lockdowns like this, we're, we're more or less forced to, to stop, slow down. Some people relish this, some people resist, strongly resist it. 
but whichever side we're coming from, uh, it's the same. We we do what needs to be done, and also I would suggest it's good to um, reach out to anybody you think might be struggling with this. Obviously, you can't do it in person, but we can contact people we know, and. look beyond our own own bubble to um, where there might be need. For tonight's Taisho, uh, we're going to take up a koan. Uh, this, is, this koan is number 46 in the Hikigrang Roku, the Blue Cliff Record. And it's Kyosei's Sound of the Raindrops. Some of you may be hearing raindrops as you listen to this. Certainly I was as I was working on it this afternoon. And we're going to start off with the case um, in just a moment. I realize I haven't got my con um, copy right in front of me, so everybody just hold on for a second while I get it. Kyosei's Sound of the Raindrops Kyosei asked a monk, What is the noise outside? The monk said, The sound of raindrops. Kyosei said, People's thinking is inverted. Deluded by their own selves, they pursue things. The monk asked, What about you, teacher? Kyosei said, I am almost but not quite deluded. The monk asked, What do you mean by almost but not quite deluded? Kyosei said, Though it is fairly easy to express what one realizes through awakening, to transcend is difficult. That's our case. A little bit of uh, biographical material about Kyosei. This is from Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. Kyosei is his, his Japanese name, of course. These are the ones we use in the Hikikan Roku. Uh, his Chinese name is um, Jing Qing Dao Fu. He's also known as Sun Dei. His dates are 868 to 937. And he was a disciple of Shui Feng, um, probably, probably better known to people uh, by his Japanese name, Seppo, the great Seppo. Um, Kyosei came from um, 
ancient Yongja, which is um, a district of the modern city of Wenzhou in Zhejiang province. And this is what Ferguson writes here. According to the transmission of the lamp, at the age of six, he refused to eat meat or strong foods. When his parents forced him to eat dried fish, he would immediately vomit it up. As a youngster, he entered the Kaiyun temple where he received ordination. It's likely that his, his parents may have taken this as a kind of sign that he was, was cut out to be a monk and, and, and taken him so early to the, the temple to join the, the Sangha. He um, later on travelled to Fujian, and that was where he met Shuifeng Seppo at Elephant Bone Mountain. And the following um, exchange occurred at their first encounter. Shuifeng Seppo asked, where are you from? Standard master's uh, testing question. Um, Kyose Jing Cheng said, from Wenzhou. Shuifeng said, in that case, you're from the same village as the overnight guest. Kyose said, Jing Jing, but from where does the overnight guest come? And then Shuifeng Seppo says, you deserve a blow from the staff, but I'll let it pass. So hearing this story, we say, well, why did he deserve a blow from the staff? Was he being punished for something? Uh, if if not, what was the point of the would have the point of the blow been? Actually, this little exchange uh, indicates um, Kelsey's caliber. Another exchange. And we'll, I'll, I'll stick to using the, the Japanized names rather than both Chinese and Japanese. One day, Kyosei asked, didn't the virtuous of old use mind to transmit mind? Seppo said, uh, nor did they establish written or spoken words. Kyosei said, then without using written or spoken words, how would the master transmit the teaching? Seppo sat silently. Kyosei bowed in thanks. Seppo said, would you like to ask me something else? Kyosei said, rather that the master should ask me. Seppo said, if this is so, is there anything else to discuss? Kyosei said, in just this way the master attains it. Seppo said, and how about you? And Kyosei replied, betraying and killing others. What, what might Kyosei mean here, betraying and killing others? Isn't there a precept about not killing. What, what else could Kyosei here be talking about when he says betraying and killing others?
another story between these two. One day during a work session, Seppo said, Zen Master Isan said, seeing form is seeing mind. Is there any error or not? Kyosei said, what about the ancient teachers? Seppo said, although that's true, I still want you all to discuss it. Kyosei said, in that case, it can't be compared to my hoeing the ground. The master seems to be wanting to his students to, to discuss this point that he mentions, seeing form is seeing mind. But Kyosei doesn't agree. He says that his, his work, his hoeing the ground, is superior to this. We can, we can be reminded here by this exchange that um, work in Zen is seen as um, a profound practice. In the year 937, at the age of 74, uh, Jing Qing passed away. A vast number of mourners accompanied his body to its resting place on Great Compassion Mountain. Turn now to our story again, and then have a, and have a little bit more of a close look at it. So he starts off with the with Kyosa asking a monk, "What is the noise outside?" Apparently, this question was um, a favourite of Kyosei. A way of his, of his testing the water, in other words, testing the monk's mind. And the monk replies, the sound of raindrops. And no doubt it was a truthful statement. It was it, likely to be raining at the time. Kyosei wouldn't have asked the question if this weren't the case. But there was some sound at least being in the, in the environment. But Kyosei's response seems to be uh, pointing to the monk having made a mistake. He says, people's thinking is inverted. 
deluded by their own selves, they pursue things. This um, statement echoes the words of the Buddha. Um, he says, this is in the Avatanska Sutra, he says, um, because people's minds have been turned upside down by delusive thinking, they fail to perceive their Buddha nature. Buddha nature that encompasses everything. When we, when we do see our all-encompassing Buddha nature, then there's no room for inside or outside. And this is the kind of hook that, that is there, that Barb, on Kyose's question, what is that noise outside? Shoto Harada comments on this case by saying um, that which hears the raindrop and that which is being heard are not two separate things. There is no enlightenment in saying the sound of raindrops. As long as we think there is an I listening to something that is not I, we're being moved about by those thoughts. When we hold on to nothing, we become the sound of the raindrops. The raindrops become us, and we fill the heavens and earth with their sounds. How could the monk have responded without... Um, falling into subject-object duality here. What could he have, how could he have expressed what he was experiencing? At least, at least when he gets this, this um, answer, that this response that seems to be telling him he's deluded, he, he comes back with the question, what about you, teacher? There are two, two, at least two possible ways of interpreting this, this, this question coming back. He could be implying that he's sticking with his answer, the, the saying the sound of the raindrops, we can't say it's wrong if, the, if the, the rain is raining. And he may even be intimating that even saying it is, after all, the marvelous functioning of our mind. Does the master see it differently? What would he say? Or 
Another way of interpreting this is just that he wants sincerely to uh, receive teaching on the matter. Kyosei's answer is here, I am almost but not quite deluded. There are, there are different translations of this line, um, either the almost but not quite, so like I'm, I'm on the brink of falling into delusion, or um, one translation, other translation is I almost don't fall into delusion. So it's, it seems to be pointing to some kind of liminal ground where we're not completely in delusion, but not completely out of it either. And again, there are different ways we can understand this. He could be coming from a position of oneness with the monk and, and essentially saying, I fall into delusion with you. If you're deluded, then I'm deluded too. There's a kind of uh, affirming of the identity between these two. It's a little bit like um, Villa McCurty who, who said, when beings are, are sick, I too am sick. If he was saying, um, I almost got lost in the noise, but I didn't. I almost fell. All of us, all of us are under some degree of delusion. Um, we we live in the dream of birth and death, gain and loss, right and wrong. We we come to practice with with issues with with edges that we have to work with. We have shadow work that we do, things we're unconscious of. And even Kinsha doesn't wipe out this stuff. It, it rather brings it into sharp relief. We could say that Kinsha helps us to change our relationship to this this um, part of ourselves that we have to work with. We can, we can talk about this, these edges that we have and issues we have in different ways, but one way to think of them is as uh, life koans, things that we, we, that we come back to again and again, that we struggle with. And they can be personal, they can be more universal. Uh, for example, parents. 
they struggle with with when to say no and when to say yes when to hold fast and when to yield with their children for um, younger married couple it may be whether to have children or not we could we could look to uh, Shakespeare for examples for instance um, Romeo his his koan how to relate to women or Hamlet to be or not to be Lear how to let go how to die so many different questions we have or creative tensions we could call them for, for a Zen teacher how to help a student without in some way interfering with their unique process or if you're a Zen student how to make a strong effort without grasping not falling into the into the predicament that Kyosei presents us with here, deluded, deluded by our own selves, we pursue things. We, we create this, this subject-object dichotomy. This is what we do with our thinking mind. Welcome to life, welcome to the struggles of existence, to Dukkha. Someone was saying this morning in Dogsan that they, they were struck by um, the contrast between the, the level of, of um, mindfulness and clarity they could they could um, work from in Sishin versus outside of Sishin. When in in holding Sishin, we we create um, ideal conditions for us to go deep, um, but they are artificial conditions in a sense. We we. We reduce the decisions we have to make, the, the um, relating that we have to do, and, and nurtured by this environment, we can um, get quieter, more focused, and have glimpses of our uh, innate clarity and stillness. But Inevitably, the, we then return to our daily lives with all their noise, all their sounds and forms, which we call on to relate to. But the, the promise that 
our messy daily lives offer is that we can catch ourselves. Perhaps we catch ourselves just as we fall into delusion, as we start to divide the world up. We start to pursue things. Or maybe we catch ourselves just after. Or maybe quite a long time after, but we recognize the, the dream that we've fallen into. The illusion of separateness. Master Hakuin comments on the on the um, beauty of Kyosei's question. What is the noise outside? He says it it calls on, on us to see both sides the, of the of the of the two truths, as, as they say in, in Tibetan Buddhism, both the temporal and the true, or he says the flowers and the moon. The, the re relative and the absolute. Can we hold these two together, not not turn them into dualisms? The monk presses, keeps pressing Kyose. He says, "What do you mean by almost but not quite deluded?" Yuan Wu in his commentary. Um, to the, the case says if it were the school of Deshan or Linji the blows and shouts would already be falling but, but Kyosei here is, is quite grandmotherly he keeps on responding to the monk's question He says, though it is fairly easy to express what one realizes through awakening, to transcend is difficult. We can have insight into non-duality but to live that insight moment by moment is difficult so I think it's very helpful to hear this from a master to transcend is difficult when he says transcend, he means to really come to terms with our edges, with our, with our life koans, to integrate them, to, to understand them, to, to keep living them. I was, I was a Zen teacher who would um, ask his his students after they've been practicing for several years uh, if you met yourself on an airplane 
yourself of five years ago. And that, that, that self of five years ago would ask you, can, what can you tell me that would help me, help to make me whole? What would you say? How would you talk to your, your, yourself of five years ago before you'd done all the practice you've done now? And one student uh, said to him, um, I would tell him that it's okay. I would tell him that it's okay. Our struggles are okay, our grappling with dilemmas. It's, it's life. Yeah. There's a uh, passage from Rana Maria Rilke that people who've been to many sessions will have heard. And it fits right in here with our theme. He says, I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, some day far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. A little bit more here of, of um, Harada Roshi's comments on this case. He says, we sit zazen and cut off thoughts until we have gone beyond life and death and no freedom from desire. But can we sustain that state of mind during our everyday life? Can we hold on to nothing in the very midst of using all our senses? This is, the, this is the question, can we hold on to nothing in the very midst of using all our senses? Well, Yuan Wu quotes a, a, a master on this point. He said, the master said, continuity is indeed very difficult. Can we, can we practice continuity? of awareness. That's what we we aspire to. But as Kyose says, to transcend is difficult. Let's turn now to a passage from Zen Letters. This is um, translated by the Cleary Brothers, 
and it's the teachings of Yuan Wu. So Yuan Wu was the um, uh, compiler and, and commentator of the of the Hikikam Roku, and we've been mentioning some of his comments on this case. This is a section called Truth and Perception. So again, it has to do with these two the two truths, the the absolute truth and our perceptions, or seeing things as objects, you could say. Truth and perception. The present perception is the truth, but the truth is beyond this perception. If you are attached to perception, then this is a perception, and it is not arriving at the truth. Those who arrive at truth transcend perception, but they manage to use perception without dwelling in perception. When you pass directly through perception and get free of it, it is all fundamental truth. To hear, truly hear the sound of the raindrops and not turn them into an object. To become so absorbed in our work that um, we lose any sense of ourselves doing the work, just working. This truth is not being nor non-being, it is not speech or silence. Yet it can manifest both being and non-being, both speech and silence. It is forever constant and unchanging. What is this constant that, that is always there in the midst of change? What Banke called the unborn Buddha mind, the deathless, it says in the Pali scriptures. Therefore, Yuanmen said, it cannot be existent when you speak of it and non-existent when you don't, or existent when you think of it and non-existent when you don't. I think of what um, Thich Nhat Hanh said, what is not wrong with you is always there. You must subtly arrive at this truth and get its great function. Always let transcendent wisdom appear whether you are speaking or silent, whatever you are doing. Is there any need to say that it is close at hand when you are in your teacher's presence and far away when you are in the countryside? As you go directly forward, naturally you will encounter it wherever you are. This, this truth is... Um, just as present in Sishin as out of Sishin. All the enlightened ones and ancestral teachers take this one true thing very seriously. It is spread among beings of all potentials, 
high and low, noble and lowly, without references, preferences or aversions. It is in all the myriad kinds of action, naturally real, clear and complete. This one true thing is just as present in us when we're starting out in Zen as when we've become old hands, have been practicing for, for decades. It's just as present in the deluded and in the awakened, the confused and the um, clear. If you make a special thing out of your views of Buddha Dharma and mystic marvels, then there is a lack. But if you're able to refrain from creating arbitrary views and are clean and naked like this, then it is completely revealed. If we are able to refrain from creating arbitrary views. You could say that the monk, um, when he answered Kyosei, had a, a view of the raindrops out there falling outside. And it's interesting that um, the Metta Sutta ends by referring to one um, not holding to fixed views. That somehow it doesn't just have to do with wisdom, but also with Metta, with compassion. Our, our fixed views of each other are so often what come between us, prevent us from, from uh, naturally flowing compassion and, and love. So it's pointing to our It's not that we have to reject a sense world, but but that we that we s stop creating views, arbitrary and fixed views about that world, but become clean and naked. If this matter were in words, then it should be definable in a single statement with no further change. Why would there be thousands and thousands of sayings imparted by enlightened adepts with no end to them? From this we know that it is not within words, but we need to use words to illustrate this matter. Sharp-spirited people should directly comprehend this idea. He goes on to say, those who realize transcendence pass through words and phrases, phrases and can make them come to life. Zen doesn't completely reject words. It just um, demands that we produce live words.
They can use one saying as a hundred thousand sayings, or use a hundred thousand sayings as one saying. Why should we have any more doubts about famous Zen sayings like, mind itself is Buddha, or it's not mind, not Buddha, or it's not mind, not Buddha, not a thing, or mind is not Buddha, knowledge is not the way. These are, these are um, all appearing in uh, the koans, these different statements that seem to contradict each other. Or, East Mountain walks on the water. Or, strike the midnight bell at noon. Or, a donkey is eating grass in the backyard. Or, a cypress in the courtyard. Famous one. Or, hide your body in the Big Dipper. Yuan Wu says, all these sayings are strung on one thread. What is the noise outside? Listen. What do you hear? How do you answer Kyose's question? We'll stop here and recite the four vows. Without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.
that's all for now everybody and um, we'll be continuing to stream for the next seven days and uh, watch out for um, any updates on the front page of the website and